You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Psalm 16 is where we are, our second week in our series called Start Here Psalms. And why are we doing these psalms? Well, they are chosen psalms that are designed to be the compass for our souls, right? So I always love that. So you, 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 you have God's Word, and last week we were learning it's um, really a light switch in some ways. You turn it on, the light starts shining, but it's also a compass, right? So when you're lost and you don't know where to go, you open God's Word, and, and then the Holy Spirit's like, go this way. That's what we're doing right now. So these psalms are compass for our souls, and also they're a map for our heart. Um, they show us where we need to be as terms um, of what direction. And again, it provides us for the map of, of life. So that's a, that's a big deal, right? It's a big deal to have your compass and your map. Um, this is what God's Word does. That's why we're in these Psalms. I wonder how many of you did your homework this past week? A couple? A couple? And I want to remind you, it's not so much homework we're doing, but heart work, right? That's really what it is. This is what God uses to change our lives and change our hearts. And so the first week we began appropriately in Psalm 1, and that was called, Start Here to be Blessed. Blessed is the man, as it goes on to say, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, the law he meditates day and night. So beautiful. And now this week in Psalm 16, our title is this, Start Here to be Satisfied. Start Here to be Satisfied. One of my favorite words found in the Bible. One of my least favorite words to be found in the world, because the world is a lie. But to see the word satisfy when it shows up in Scripture pertaining to satisfaction in Jesus, I'm like circling it, underlining, highlighting it, exclamation marks around it. Why? Because everything within me says this is where life is lived. All of life is lived ultimately in the fulfillment found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that note, start here to be satisfied. Let's start with a quote from C.S. Lewis, a very famous quote. You should know this quote, but let's hear it again. He says this, if I find in myself, this is from his wonderful book, Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And this really defines our world. That we were ultimately made for another world because nothing else will satisfy within this world. And David wrote Psalm 16. He would give a big amen to that quote by C.S. Lewis because really it's the heart of this 16th Psalm. So just as we begin with this start here to be satisfied, let me ask us some questions. Um, Are you satisfied in life? I mean, are you really? Now, if I came up to you right now, and if I asked you that, you'd probably be like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm satisfied, I'm satisfied, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know what to say. We all know what the thing to say is. We know the right thing to say. But really, like in your life, is there a peace? Is there a contentment? Is there true fulfillment? Is there a sense of satisfaction in what matters? Are you wandering? Are you lost? Are you dazed and confused? Are you so preoccupied? Maybe you're right now and you're like, you know, I'm not even really sure if I'm satisfied or not. The Bible tells us again, 
this weekend that satisfaction is found ultimately in one place and in one person. And we go there again through Psalm 16. You know, start here to be satisfied. Again, it reminds me of that, and I love this quote so much. We've said it a couple times over the years of this church, but Reverend Zacharias, he says this. He says, the loneliest moment in life is when you've just accomplished what you thought was the ultimate, and it let you down. That's our world, loved ones. That's our world, you know. I'm watching uh, Tom Brady last year win his fifth Super Bowl. <laughs> All right? Not a big Tom Brady fan. But at the end of the day, I feel sorry for him. He has all these accolades, all the money. He's got the supermodel wife. He's got all the trophies, more than ever. At the end of the day, he's going to bring it all before the Lord in judgment. And God will be like, you have all the trophies. Do you have my son? The loneliest moment in life is when you accomplish what you thought was the ultimate. Maybe it's not your fifth Super Bowl ring, but it could be that new purchase and that relationship you've always dreamed of or the child you wish you could have or the job you wanted to get to or the home and whatever it is. It's lonely when you get it and you realize it's not enough. This is why the message of satisfaction is only ultimately found in Jesus Christ, in his word. I'm excited. I pray you're excited to begin this as well, okay? So what happens? Well, we start here for satisfaction. Start where? Point number one. Let me say it to you. It's this. Start here for satisfaction. I must depend on the Lord. You want to be satisfied? You've got to depend on himself. Not on the world, you have to depend on the Lord. Where are we going to get this from? God's word. What are we going to do? Verse by verse through Psalm 16. So let's look at verse 1 then. Here's what David says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, notice the dependence all over this verse and verses. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Psalm 16 is a psalm of confidence of David towards his God. Psalm 16, it's a tremendous psalm of peace and confidence, as I said, and resting in the Lord. David is taking stock of life and of what matters. At the end of the day, in many, many ways, he says, I am good because I am in my God. He is my satisfaction. David's confidence is 100% rooted in the Lord. How's your confidence? Are you self-confident? Maybe you're here right now, you find yourself filled with insecurity, which plagues so many of our hearts. You know, it's so interesting, between the two extremes of self-confident, which turns into arrogance, pride, and insecurity, which is another form of pride, between these two extremes, they will both lead to emptiness. They will both lead to a void of true satisfaction. Now, notice how, again, in verses 1 and 2, in every phrase, there's dependence and confidence in the Lord. Let's just break it down. Notice David says, preserve me, O God. So David right away, he understands that his protection and his literal preservation is in the Lord. Okay? Um, is your heart beating right now? Take a pulse, make sure, right? Right? How's that possible? Because Jesus Christ sustains you. He is literally allowing you to exist right now. Are you breathing? 
you breathing? I hope you're breathing. That is the Lord of the universe allowing your lungs to function and the brain and the heart signaling together that we might take breaths and live. We are literally preserved by the Lord. But our protection is from the Lord. Notice what he says next. He says, for in you I take refuge. Refuge, the Lord is David's shelter, fortress, hiding place. I mean, just think about that. If you're hiding in something, you are depending in that. If something is your shelter, you are seeking dependence in that shelter. If you run to a fortress to be covered, that is something you are massively depending on for security. This is our God. This is David. He finds his satisfaction in the Lord through dependence upon him. So basic, but so important. Again, in verse 2, he declares, you are my Lord. Now, by the way, notice what we see here. In the first two verses, we have three words for God. You see them? Three words for God, three different words for God that David uses in verses 1 and 2. Notice the first one is, uh, the Hebrew, it's God in verse 1. Uh, preserve me, O God. That's the Hebrew word El. Uh, the most um, common name for God, uh, meaning strong or mighty. Uh, preserve me, O mighty, O strong God. Then we see Lord in verse 2 with all caps. That is the, that is the uh, formal name for God in Yahweh. That God is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. There is no one else. It is the great I am. And then we see the third word for God here. He says, you are my Lord. That is Adonai, a master or ruler. So in just one and a half verses, you have David referring to his mighty God, self-existing, great I am God, and then master, Lord, uh, ruler, Adonai, God. I mean, just, just think. You know, very, very, very. Notice the intimacy with which David knows and relates to his God. Are we like that? Notice the dependence that David has upon his God. And then notice, I just, I, I love that. I mean, I just read over and over again. You know, I read today, I picked up a A.W. Tozer, a little book, and, and just like, just another thing. It's impossible to bear fruit with Christ if we don't spend time with him. Our relationship with the Lord is the single greatest indicator of the fruit of our lives. Like, it's just, it just, it never can get boring to hear that intimacy with God is everything. Like, he, he, he's everything. There is no one that comes close. He is our sustenance. He is our life. He is our absolute love. And notice this wave of dependence crests now with the declaration of, in verse 2, I have no good apart from you. When's the last time you sincerely said that to the Lord? Again, listen, listen, look here, look here. Not just said it here. Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. But like you meant it here. Like it's theologically correct in your mind, but then your heart also feels the truth. I have no good apart from you. No good. Consider that. There is no true good apart from God. 
Charles Spurgeon said, be content to be nothing for that is what you are. I love that. And our flesh is like, what do you mean nothing? I'm not nothing. I'm something. I'm maybe not the best, but I'm not the worst. No, 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 no. The true theology is be content to be nothing because that is what I am. Nothing. Nothing. I have no good apart from you. But in the Lord, all of a sudden, the goodness of life begins to be seen and known and felt and lived. Loved ones, the absence of God is the absence of true good. To forsake the Lord then, again, again, come on, think about it now. This is wisdom right here. To forsake the Lord is to forsake all genuine eternal goodness. You can build your life in the world. You can do all these things. You're so busy with everything else. But if God is being missed out on, we are forsaking all genuine, true goodness. And what is the goodness of God but the satisfaction of life itself? Here's how. Augustine or Augustine, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. Here's what he said. This, this quote too we should know. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless. Empty, dissatisfied, unfulfilled, until it finds its rest in thee. Only the Lord can truly satisfy the beautiful testimony of Michelle that we just heard. I love that line. You hear that line? Is, is this just for Western people, this God? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Didn't start in the West. This life is for anyone who believes. And the satisfaction of life begins. We will be restless until we find our rest in thee. That is why when the 2008 global economic crisis began and happened, you had the CEO or CFO of Freddie Mac. He hanged himself. This is why you have the CEO of Sheldon Good. He shoots himself in the head behind the wheel of his Jaguar. This is why you have the Bear Stearns executive overdosing on drugs and leaping from 29 floors up. Because the moment they lose what they believe is their treasure is the moment they have no reason now to live. Learn let us be wise. Let us understand the ways of the world do not work. Some of you are here right now, maybe many of us are here right now, and we think that dependence on the world is, it, it just, it will not work. And the reason for that is because we are placing our dependence on something other than the Lord. Consider David pleading with us right now, start here to be satisfied. There is no good apart from God. There is no true good, eternal good, apart from God. Start here to be satisfied. Point number two, I love this one. I will delight in the saints. You want to be satisfied? Delight in the saints. You're like, where's that from? Verse three, look. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Verse four, here comes the contrast. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply and they shall leap out of buildings to their death when their money is gone. That was my insertion there, okay? <laughs> notice, notice. 
their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Okay, now this is a fascinating couple of verses here. Notice this, okay? David's dependence on the Lord vertical has direct impact on his relationships horizontal. David is expressing his total satisfaction and delight in some human relationships, but then in the very next verse, he expresses deep sorrow over other human relationships. So notice in verse 3, saints. Saints are God's people. Those of us here right now, we're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We are sinners, amen? We're sinners. But we are also saints, amen? Saints, right? All because of grace. Alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are destined for glory. So God's people, notice he calls them two. He calls them, verse three, excellent ones. It's so interesting. There's a lot of debate over that phrase among the scholarship in the Hebrew. Uh, the New Living Translation um, translated, uh, my true heroes. But notice what happens. He says, the saints who are the excellent ones, my heroes, they, they result in David's delight. Now we contrast that in verse 4 with multiplied sorrows of those running after false gods and then offering evil. And David essentially is saying, get me out of here. Get me away from the evil. I delight in God's saints. I am abhorring what nothing to do with evil and the offering of the world. I want to run from that personally. And so what we learn here, there are relationships in life, listen, that truly satisfy, but there are relationships in life that are counterfeit as well. So I love here that David expresses his delight in the saints and then calling them excellent ones. And I was thinking about that this week and just like, yeah, satisfaction in relationships. And we heard this a little bit from Pastor George as he prayed tonight, but I want to show you a picture of our of our youth, I, I thought of I thought of excellent ones. You know, you know. Um, so this is a picture of not all, but most of our youth leaders. And we have fifty-three dedicated youth leaders to um, our ministry, and we even have more this year than we actually need. That that's that's a good sign right now. As our youth ministry has never, we're out of room up there, by the way, for our junior highs. There's like three to a seat or something. Okay. And so good problems, amen, church, good problems, okay? But in many ways, I'm so thankful. And you excellent ones. Next time I see them, hello, excellent one. That'd be odd, eh? A little weird, right? <laughs> but in many ways, you get it. You, you, you delight in when you see God at work in his people. I'm telling you, like, I come back to this church last week, and I came back on a weekend in the summer, whatever. I, you, you start to see just a couple of, it doesn't take long at all, and you're just like, man, love you, and love you, and you're the best, and I'm so glad that I'm in your life, and if you can keep smiling, it just makes me feel like I'm in the right place and where I want to be, and it's just, it's kind of overwhelming, and the elders can testify to this, that recently I've said more than once, I said, you know, our people in our church are just so amazing. I talk to many of you, and inside, I should probably admit this out loud, but inside I'm like, I need to be more like you, you know? And I mean that. There's like a fragrance that's being offered up to the Lord. You don't even know you're doing it, which is why it's so beautiful. But I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm just like, wow, you're really inspiring me to be a stronger follower of Jesus Christ. That happens to me a lot around here. That's awesome. 
And that makes me delight. The quality of individuals seeking the Lord, it, it's satisfying. Now listen, David knows this, and we know this too, man. God's saints aren't, aren't perfect. Can someone testify, please? We are, we, are, we are sinful people. We are messed up, right? I mean, we, just, we fully admit that. We're not pretending we're perfect. Are you kidding me? We're trying to follow the one who is perfect. We know there's inconsistency. We know we sin on a daily basis. And yet, and yet, the depth and delight that is found in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You got to fight for it. It never comes easy. It takes a ton of uh, humility. You got to push down pride. But when it's there, wow. I distinctly remember the season when I was saved. And I vividly remember I was blown away and astounded at the beauty and depth and delight that I felt in this newfound relationship with human beings who shared a love for Jesus Christ by his gospel and grace through faith. I, had, I grew up in the church for 22 years. I had no idea. No idea. I mean, I started talking to my parents for the first time when I got saved. You know, that's a slight exaggeration, but you know. But there's a relationship that just all of a sudden was just, wow. And then the friendships, and then, you know, cool story. I remember when I was first saved, I was um, returned to Laurier University, and I was there for another semester, and I was lit up for Jesus. I joined the Campus Crusade for Christ ministry at that time, but it was just starting up, so it was like just a little small group, like four or five people. And there was this younger guy there that's probably a couple years younger than me, but just seemed such a sincere heart and just so friendly. And it almost took me under. I, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I just, I was so hungry to grow. Just wanted to learn about Jesus and be anywhere I could to be in fellowship with others. And this younger guy, a couple years younger again, he just was so friendly and kind. And he knew more about the Bible than I did. And he taught me and all stuff. And it was just, I remember so well this individual. And wouldn't you know it? It was like, how many years later? 10, 12 years later? His name was Chris Shipley, and he is now the associate pastor of Harvest Brampton. That was our first church plant, all right? And here's a picture of, of Pastor Chris on the screen right here, all right? And, and isn't that so cool that there he was, and he had more hair back then and no beard, all right? But, <laughs> but to be there and just sit there and just feel the delight and the love of what the Lord brings, it truly is satisfying. It's what Jesus has died for to bring about in our lives. And you know, I love right now too, and all since I could go around this room right now, I could pick out dozens, if not hundreds of people and say, I can genuinely say that I have delight in knowing that you love God and how that has impacted me in one way or another over these years that we've been in ministry together. That's the grace of God. It is so beautiful. And, it is so, and it, you know you're not getting that in the world. You know you're not. You know, you're not in the same way, man. You cannot, you cannot duplicate supernatural Holy Spirit relationship. Trust me, I get it. We don't always get along. I get that. And, but in the heart of it all, wow, when it's right and there's a sense of the Lord working, it is so beautiful. Again, missing the relationship of vertical and then horizontal. And I felt led this week to bring this quote back out for you because I want you to see it. This is back from a year ago right now. For some of you who are not connected to the body of Christ, okay? I guarantee you, you are outside of God's will because God's word tells us that, right? You cannot fulfill God's will for your life without being connected to his church. It's impossible. If you're not connected to the body of believers, you are not guaranteed in God's will. Take that as a serious challenge. 
Again, it's, I, there's no promises of perfection on this side of heaven. But that's the whole point. We need each other to love each other. So, question. Do you have a genuine love for God's people? Do you love other Christians? Do you seek their company? Here's another question. Are you okay with hanging out with evil? Are you at ease among open sin? It doesn't bother you? These are problems, okay? Are you right now dabbling in forms of darkness? Are you dabbling in relationships that are about to kill you? Seriously, seriously hurt you? Are you dabbing in activities, lusts, stuff that's just, it's just, it won't satisfy for a moment and then it's gone. And then the guilt and the regret and the self-inflicting punishment and tormenting mind. Been there. It stinks. Hear me. We love the lost 100%. Absolutely. We love the lost, but we will never be satisfied with the evil of the world. Isn't that beautiful, though? That part of our satisfaction here is that we delight in God's saints. God, help us to see that grow. Start here to be satisfied. I depend on the Lord. I will delight in his saints. Thirdly, this, I am distinctly content. You want to be satisfied? This, I then am distinctly content. Now, I love this point because it's right here. The heart of this entire message is found and therefore the heart of true satisfaction. Now, look at verse five now. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, I don't know about you, but even as I read these verses, I'm just all of a sudden just in a better mood, you know? I did a pleasant places and beautiful inheritance and chosen portion, and all of a sudden it feels like, I mean, you read verses 5 and 6 over and over. Here's some more homework for you this week. I mean, it's hard to be grumpy when you do that. I mean, try it. Just stare at it. Look at it. Say it out loud. Speak it over your life and, and the pleasant places and, again, the beauty and the inheritance that God has given to us. Again, it's hard. Hard to stay kind of miserable in that place. And notice that David has just finished explaining the futility of idols, the worthlessness of worldly pursuits or false gods, and now he moves on to fulfillment. See that? So he's like... False gods don't work. They multiply sorrows. They heap sorrow upon sorrows. But then he says, but now I'll show you fulfillment. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. This is where I find life. This is where I find vitality. This is where I find joy. And where I feast on that which is really going to provide me life. God is my provision portion. God is my sufficiency cup. God is my daily bread. God has my life in his hands. Really, these verses in some ways summarize John Piper's statement for his entire ministry. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Hear that? God is most glorified in us when, when we are most satisfied in him. You are my chosen portion, O oh God. You are my cup. You are the one I want to drink from in this life. You hold my lot, meaning you set my boundaries. You determine the lines of my life. They may not be the lines I would have chosen, but they are guaranteed in the end. If I can't see it now, there's a day soon I will see it. They are the most pleasant lines I could have ever, ever imagined. Because eternity will make all these things be clear. 
But even now, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the pain, the most profound joy is often seen as beauty comes up from the ashes. Beautiful inheritance. I'm distinctly content because I'm distinctly a child of God separate from the rest of the fallen world. Notice these verses are dripping with contentment. Dripping with fulfillment. You can almost feel David's satisfaction here. And this is our God. Listen, listen, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in want. When the Lord is my shepherd, I need nothing else. When the Lord is seen for all he is, there's nothing else I need. So consider the fragrance of contentment flowing through the air of our world. The fragrance of contentment right here in these verses and then interacting with the air, the pollution of our world, the lies of our world, and our world is massively filled with discontentment. It's everywhere. Are you unfulfilled in your marriage? That's a vertical problem. So oh, I feel like, feel like moving on. I feel like something younger. I feel like, you know, it's not giving me what I need. No, 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 no. You got a theological messed up thinking right there, okay? It's a vertical problem. Your dependence on the Lord and your satisfaction in Him impacts every relationship in your life. And not one relationship is more important than the one that you are married to telling you, you see this over and over and over again and when you give your heart to the Lord, you depend on him and you call to him, you are my chosen portion and you are my cup you see the overflow of that cup filtered down on mind and heart and affections and you can with all honesty and legitimacy look over at your spouse and the Lord will start to supernaturally give you a change of heart and feeling and love that is only produced by him that turns your whole world upside down in the best way possible. An unfulfilled marriage ultimately I am not discounting the different situations trust me I've been in pastoral ministry for long enough to know, okay? But the ultimate answer and the one who never lets us down. It's a vertical problem. And you pursue the vertical, and the horizontal is always, always impacted. And behind this, discontentment is a rampant, sinful selfishness that puts us at the top of the pyramid, and all we want is to fulfill the desires that we think need to be met. That won't work. It is anti-Christ. It is anti-Bible. It will not satisfy. God, help us to have enough humility right now to understand how wrong we can be and to repent of our sin and to trust you as opposed to self. Discontentment, it's a huge problem. Here's a poem written by a 14-year-old boy. 14 years old, he says this. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. 
I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. It's always a matter of just stopping long enough to say, what am I doing with my life, and why am I doing it? Am I chasing after the way? You see what's happening here? The Bible says, followers of Christ, we are to be distinctly content because we have Jesus. This is why Paul could say in Philippians 3.8, I count all things as loss when compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see what's happening right there? You always say, Paul, how can you say that? Because he sees his treasure. His treasure is Christ. He stumbled upon the parable of the hidden treasure. He uncovers the treasure. It is the greatest worth he could ever imagine. When you are holding the greatest worth you can ever imagine, everything else in life is seen for what it is. Less than the treasure. And Paul even says it's as dung. This is the key to satisfaction. This is where life is to be lived. So we're not looking for the next fix, loved ones. We're not looking for the next high. Why? Because as the phrase has been coined, there's no high like the most high. And that was a great spot for an amen, right? And you can use that too because it's fun to say. And it's really true. There's nothing like being in the presence of Almighty God. Again, look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Loved ones, look here, look here, look here, look here. The ways of the world doesn't work. It doesn't work. It multiplies sorrow. Young people, young people, your generation has to step up and shine the light in a new direction away from that which is false and lies. We are called to understand again where satisfaction is found. It's found in the Lord. Start here to be satisfied. Point number four, I'm devoted to his truth. I'm devoted to his truth. Look at verse seven. I'm going to, be brief here, because this is really last week's message in some ways. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Oh, this is good. Maybe it won't be so brief. I don't, we'll see. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. What I want you to see here is this, okay? Notice the theological sequence in verses 7 to 8, okay? The counsel of the Lord, the truth of the Lord, instructs the heart of David... Okay? God's truth instructs his heart. The mind instructs the heart. Then notice, then the instruction causes David to set the Lord always before him. And then the result of that is David will not be shaken. Let's go through this visually right here. You know, we love to do this together. I love this as much as anyone. Okay? This is what's happening here. Okay? In verses 7 and 8. God's truth instructs my heart. Again, again, this is... This is why Bible's open in our lives. I need this. I got to take my spiritual shower, my mind to be renewed because it instructs my heart. And then my heart says, set the Lord before you. God's word, the Holy Spirit, you start, you see the Lord. And when you see the Lord, then you will not be moved. This is what's happening. 
you, you know who you are. You know why you're here. You know where you stand. You know where you're going, okay? And when this process happens, then this happens next, okay? This equals satisfaction. This leads to this. When you're in this place and you're seeing the Lord and you know I shall not be moved even in the midst of my trial and pain, but still the satisfaction reigns so deep because it's what the Lord does and it's who the Lord is. I am devoted to his truth. This past week I opened a Bible book and I was reading to my girls. They're sweet. And I was reading the Bible book to the girls and the story, we're just kind of going systematically through this book and it was on John 21, it was when the fire and the, or like the fish in the boat and then the charcoal fire and, 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 and Jesus approaches Peter and restores Peter and I was, I got to admit, season I'm in right now, like season I'm in, like there's a, rarely been so much opportunity and responsibility and, and to be honest, be pastor and people, pretty overwhelmed at times. Next few weeks, never, never had one like it. And um, I'm reading this to, to the girls, you know, reading to the girls, and, and they're kind of listening, but then all of a sudden, God starts speaking to you. So I have this children's Bible book, and all of a sudden, Jesus is like, hey, Peter, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And in the midst of being overwhelmed, the truth of God's word, in this sense, starts to, starts to, speak, to, starts to speak to my heart. And then I hey, Robbie, you feed my sheep. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. And so I'm telling the story to the girls and asking some questions, but all the while, my own heart is really being impacted by this. And went to bed that night, and I got up the next morning, opened John 21, I just read it, and I got up early. And I tell you, like, being an overwhelmed and saying, Lord, I, I got to feed your sheep these next couple of weeks. You got to really help me do this. And I'm telling you, before 7 a.m. that morning, I got more work done than I normally would by about 11.30 in the morning. And you sit there, and you're like, I'm so satisfied in God, and he speaks to you, and he instructs your heart, and he fills you with faith, and he tells you, in my case, feed my sheep, I'm with you, and then you feel a satisfaction upon your life, and it all starts from his counsel, instructing your heart, and then understanding I will not be shaken, because my God is so good. I beg, I beg God, this is all of our experiences. That time and time again, day after day, we are finding our God so faithful in what he promises to do and who he promises to be. Start here to be satisfied. Point five. I remember my deliverance is guaranteed. You want to be satisfied? Remember where you're headed. Remember... That you're saved. Look at verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Okay. The therefore in verse 9, notice it's there because David knows he will not be shaken. Okay, you see that? So when you see therefore, you're drawing. Why is it there? Why, where's it coming from? It's there because David, I won't be shaken. So therefore, because I won't be shaken, therefore, David says, he knows the Lord his with him, notice this, therefore my heart is glad, satisfied, my whole being rejoices, satisfied, because I won't be shaken in the Lord. Notice also in verse 9 that insecurity is 
fleeing, right? My, my flesh also dwells secure. How many of us are here right now? We are plagued with insecurity. Yes, this is probably most immediately a physical security, but of course it translates to spiritual security. How many of us plagued with constantly trying to be something for other people, where our value goes up and down based on other people's opinions of us? Well, that's not God's will. Now, why is his flesh secure? Here's why, because the gospel is coming. You see that? The gospel is about to be unfolded, and that's where the ultimate security comes from, because you can't touch the child of God saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. Here comes the gospel. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, without a doubt, verse 10 has direct prophecy to Jesus Christ. 100%. How do we know that? Because in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes this verse relating exactly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here we see the unity of the Bible, the beautiful, holy, spirit-inspired book. Here is David. Okay, watch this. I love it so much. Here is David a thousand years before Christ arrives on earth, and he prophesies the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. A thousand years before Jesus is there. Then you have Peter, a thousand years after David, give or take a decade or two, right? Standing out filled with the Holy Spirit, and he pieces God's word together. And the prophecy of David a thousand years before, and then Peter stands out filled with the Holy Spirit and brings all of the unity of the Bible together and says that Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, this was promised by David in Psalm 16. I love that so much that Jesus being raised from the dead was the death of death in the death of Christ. Death died with the death of Christ and was fully defeated and conquered as Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, what I love about this, David is prophesying about Jesus who will be raised from the dead, and yet it's this Jesus, when he is raised from the dead, is the source of David being raised from the dead in eternal life. And so the prophecy of Jesus being raised from the dead is the key to victory for David, as Peter is declaring this prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He himself is declaring victory in Jesus Christ because he too will not die, and therefore every single believer who's alive in Jesus Christ, because David prophesied it, because Jesus Christ lived it, and because Peter said it was fulfilled, all of us now are guaranteed spiritual victory and resurrection in Jesus Christ because of what he did, okay? That is awesome. This is the Bible, right? So, so where does my satisfaction come from? You're feeling like I am right now. Even now, you're like, it just feels good, doesn't it? Because it's true, and because it's right, and because it's Jesus, and because he's beautiful, because he's awesome, and there's no one like him. And so this is why, again, this is why I say, when you see verses like this, and you know that by God's grace, you are part of this equation, today's another good day. It just is. It doesn't matter what's happened. I've preached this a thousand times, and I'll preach it 10,000 more if God lets me. It doesn't matter where your life is at. In Christ, you have everything you need. That's what makes today another great day. 
in Christ alone. Here's what the gospel does, okay? No guilt in life, no fear in death. I mean, that phrase right there, that is just, no guilt in life, no fear in death? Man, the world wishes it could say that. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands, see, 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 satisfy my destiny. And I've italicized and bold that because that's our final point in just a couple seconds. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Where, where are you getting this other than Jesus Christ? Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. Satisfaction, satisfaction, satisfaction. This leads us to our final point. I know my destiny is certain. I know my destiny is certain. Look at verse 11. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms, right here. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What a verse. Notice the Holy Spirit English version alliteration in here. Notice three Ps. Three Ps. They're already here. Ready? Path. Presence. Pleasure. Path of life. Presence. The presence of the Lord. You get on God's path. You know his presence. No greater pleasure. And all of this, loved ones, these three Ps, one more P, lead to perfection forevermore. This is where life is lived. This is where life is lived. The path of the Lord Jesus Christ. The presence of the Holy Spirit of God. The pleasure of God the Father to call you his child, leading us on the road to perfection one day. We will see him one day so soon. Notice in this verse too, you make known to me, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, all of these things are only found in one person. God Almighty. He is the source of satisfaction. He is the one who allows us to live life as we were designed to live. Start here to be satisfied. Start here to truly be satisfied. Let's bow our heads. Overwhelmed by you, Father. Overwhelmed by your grace. Undeserved grace completely undeserved grace to be here to hold your book to preach your word to hear your truth to sense the Holy Spirit renewing minds and changing hearts oh God I pray you will convince us convince us of these truths not just for a day, but for a lifetime. Lead us. Change us. Loved ones, the final application I have for you as we pray to our God right now is, what idol do you need to stare in the face today and say, you got nothing on Jesus? What idol do you need to smash 
What idol do you need to set straight in your heart and life and to say, you cannot satisfy me anywhere in what Jesus Christ will do and is doing in my life? What sin do you need to repent of? What love have you given over, have I given over in the world that needs right now to go to the cross of Jesus Christ? He is worthy of our praise. And he is speaking to us. So I pray collectively as a church, we renew our love for him in this moment now. Oh, may it be so. In Jesus' name.